Open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. I wanted to take just a minute or two and, and do a quick recap uh, of what we heard this week. It was so rich, so powerful. And those of you who had been with us for like the last 10 weeks in church leading up to it, was anybody else kind of grinning when he starts talking about being perfected and he starts talking about growing up? Man, I nearly jumped out of my seat. You don't even know what it's like to, to, to think, oh, Jesus, I've been hearing from you. Oh, that's so good. Oh, thank God. And then later on, you know, we got the chance to tell Brother Keith, this is what the Lord's been talking to us about in church. And he said, well, I'm glad I didn't know that. Uh, and that's true. You know, you, you get confirmation that you've been hearing from God. And of course, he said in three days, what's taken me 10 weeks, but that we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> Ephesians chapter four, let's look again at some of what he read to us, beginning in verse seven. He said to each one, to, excuse me, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now look at verse 11. These are some of these gifts he's talking about. Said he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What for? For the equipping. The King James Bible says for the perfecting. And this is why we got into this because the Lord told us at the beginning of this year that this was part of the work he was busy doing in our lives and in our families, that the God of all grace is perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling us. And this is part of that perfecting. In that very first evening when we got into the word, this is what he began talking about, how, how perfecting, of course we know this by now, doesn't mean flawlessness. It doesn't have to do with anything after the flesh getting it right every time, all the time after the flesh. You and I both know that doesn't happen. And the good news is God's not so much looking for that as he is looking for a perfect heart, a heart that's perfect towards him, a heart that is whole and a heart that is loyal towards him. And part of our perfecting, he said here, happens as the result of these ministry gifts. The gifts that he gave to men, these prophets, or excuse me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and what, they for, what they're for is that perfecting, that equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. And what we saw was this pretty massive misunderstanding in the body of Christ, and that is that these ministry gifts, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, or evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that they are the ones that are supposed to be doing all the work of the ministry. But that's not what that scripture said. That scripture said that these ministry gifts are for the perfecting and the equipping of the saints so that they would do the work of the ministry. And what we've got to understand is that the work of the ministry is way too big for a pastor, way too big for a small staff to do. And if we live thinking that all the work belongs to this handful of people, this is what will keep us small in our lives. It keeps us small in ministry thinking that these few over here are the ones that are supposed to be doing the work of the ministry. And what we were taught over this last week was that this is what we should be after in our lives. Lord, where's my place? What's my assignment? What's my grace? Because every one of us, not just me or Sarah or our staff, but every one of us who call this place home have an assignment in this house to do the work of the ministry. 
And what's taking place as you sit and you hear the word, whether it's this morning or this past week or any time, what's happening is an equipping is taking place. A perfecting is happening. You're getting the equipment you need to do the job he's called you to do. So he said the ministry gifts are for the perfecting of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. And the result of the saints doing the work of the ministry, verse 12, is the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, talking about Jesus, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now connected to this is verse 14, that we should no longer be children. Didn't we spend weeks in here leading up to this talking about that growing up? Look at your neighbor and say, oh, grow up. You need to grow up. I need to grow up. There's supposed to be a developing, a maturing, a growing up taking place. That's what perfecting's about. It's about growing up. Till we come to the place where we're not children anymore, tossed to and fro. That's, that's a picture of being unstable carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So in that first evening, I'll tell you the thing I got the most out of it was when he said, babies need help. Mature ones. What did he say? Our help. When we're babies, we need help. When we've grown up, we are help. That's what hit me so hard. And what a powerful way of saying that and looking at it. And we never want to say, you know, that somebody's a baby or, or say it in a way that puts that down. You know, when you're born again, that's how you're born again. You're born, born a baby, right? And we love babies. We love babies around here. We, 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 just like a, a, a natural baby, I mean, just, just the love that goes out to a little one, love that goes out to, to one that's brand new. We feel the same way about people who are young in their walk with the Lord, and we want to be all the help to them that we can be. But I have found out over the last couple of years that, man, in church, throughout the body of Christ, it seems like and this is a pretty big generalization, but it seems like people fit neatly into what I think is three categories. You've got babies, you've got grown-ups, but then you've got grown-ups that act like babies. And it's that group right there that, that it, that's where your challenges are. That's where the difficulty is. Babies, that's not hard. You love them, you help them, you feed them. Even grown-ups, people who are and want to be help and available. That's not hard either, man. You can get a lot done with grown-ups. It's this other group. <laughs> grown-ups acting like babies. Let not, let's not let that be us, right? We want to grow. We want to develop. And this is the way we do it. Now, in that second evening, he really majored on this, especially towards the end. He talked to us about how we grow up, speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow up, speaking the truth. So getting a hold of the truth from the word of God, believing it, speaking it, but making sure we're walking in the love of God all the time. Because when love is showing up, we're growing up. Love on display in the life of a believer 
is the mark of maturity. That's when we're growing up. And then finally, in that third evening, we really, he really centered in on finding your ministry. Those of you who are here, you remember that story he told of, about visiting that church that time? And then there was, there was that guy that was just kind of hanging out over there in the corner, just kind of had a, had a look on his face the whole time, just kind of excited. Brother Keith finally made his way over to him and they started talking and the guy asked him, have you been to the bathroom? Which is a strange question to ask somebody, I think. But remember what he said? Did, was, it, was it nice? Was it neat? Was it clean? Oh yeah, Brother Keith says, great. And the guy said, what? That's my ministry. That's my ministry. And when you're finding your place in the body and you, you don't refer to it as just anything. Remember, he talked to us about this. I'm not just on the clean team. I'm not just uh, you know, working in the parking lot. I'm not just a children's worker. You're not just anything. When you find your place and you're serving in the body of Christ, doing what he's called you and graced you to do, that's not just anything. That's as much ministry as anything that takes place from a pulpit or on a platform. It's the same word, and the Lord sees it the same way. So when we're finding our place, man, we are growing up, we are developing. And we've talked some about this, but I wanted to, to make the commitment to you again, church, as your pastor, and I'll make it often to you, that even though we desire to see the church grow and we're making room for the church to grow numerically, and that's wonderful. A church that's growing is a great thing but I will never prioritize this place growing over you growing up. I don't know if I said that quite right, but, but it, if you've ever been in ministry or done any work, then the temptation is to always look at the numbers, always look how many were there, whether it's a Sunday service or a youth event or a children's thing. Well, well how many were there? How many came? And when we ask that question and only that question all the time, we're revealing that that's the only thing that matters to us. But that's not the case. And I think sometimes people, and I know I've been guilty of it too, have prioritized growing over growing up. But I don't want to do that. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. We're not going to prioritize growing numerically over the growing up and the developing and the maturing of the, the parts that are already here, the, the members of the family that are present. I'm way more interested in you that are here this morning growing up than I am getting a bunch of people in here so we could, you know, fill out a form that said there was X amount of people in church on Sunday. I want to grow up. But the cool thing is if we'll get this in the right order, did you see what this, this next verse said would happen? It's in verse 16. He said, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth. So when you and I are growing up by doing what we're called and graced to do, look at what the result is. Growth. The result of growing up is growth. See, we got to get the order right. If we'll get the priorities right and prioritize growing up, we won't have to worry about growing. Come on, are you listening to me this morning? If we'll get growing up right and get that first, we don't have to worry about growing. It causes the growth and the building up of the body. 
So all that to say, man, we just had a wonderful time and I, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. I'm already halfway through the meeting again. I've been listening to it yesterday in the last couple of days and I encourage you to do the same thing. I want you to look with me now though at the book of James chapter one. Because anytime you experience something like we did, a conference, an event like this where it's intensive in the word and you hear things that are powerful things, life-changing things, truth that sets you free. It's a wonderful time. And especially if you've spent an extended amount of time in it, like we did night after night after night, you get to the end of it, or at least I do. And my question is, now what? My question is, what's next, Lord? And even coming into it this morning is like, Lord, is there anything left to say? <laughs> I mean, what, what do we even talk about? Now what? Somebody say, now what? Now. And it's a good question. Now what? What do we do with the word that we've heard? What do we do with it? In James chapter one, the Bible says this in verse 19. Let's look at a few verses together. He said, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear slow to speak. Now, quick question. Are most people living that way? Quick to listen, slow to speak? Or do you think it's the opposite? Most people are quick to speak, slow to listen. They, they shoot first and ask questions later. But the instruction here from the word, and not just here, but in other places, is that you and I are to be quick, swift, he said, to hear, to hear, and slow to speak. And the result will be, if you're swift to hear and slow to speak, you'll be slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Husbands, wives, this will change the atmosphere of our homes. If we'll get this right, it will absolutely do a 180 for the atmosphere of our homes. If it's been strife filled and if there's been arguing, I guarantee you this, somebody or somebody's have been quick to speak when they should have been quick to listen. They've been slow to hear when they should have been slow to speak. And the result is when you get those wrong, and you're too quick to speak, you're too quick to say something as soon as it hits your brain, the result is wrath. Or you could say anger or clamoring or arguing. But did you hear what he said? That will not produce the righteousness of God. It won't. Before Sarah and I got married, I remember I, somebody had given me a book. It was a book on marriage. And I remember reading through it and there was one statement that stuck with me above any other. And the author of the book was asking men specifically, he said, is it better to be right or righteous? When you're fussing, if you're arguing, if you're trying to get your way, just ask yourself, it, would, it, would it be better in this situation to be right or would it better to be, be better to be righteous? Well, of course, we know it's better to be righteous, better to be righteous. And the way we demonstrate that and the way we have that in our homes is being slow to speak, quick to listen, he said. For the wrath, verse 20, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, he said, therefore lay aside all filthiness 
an overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Church, that's what happened this week. We heard a word and if you received it, it got implanted in you and it has the ability to save your soul. And that's not just a reference to salvation or the day you're born again. This is a daily thing right here. The saving of your soul, the saving of your life, saving you from destruction, saving you from strife, saving you from loss. The word that gets in you, that gets planted on the inside of you has the ability, the power to save your soul. But here comes a stern warning in verse 22. He said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now I want you to go back with me to a couple of weeks ago, or really just last Sunday, the days leading up to our conference. You remember we were talking about how Jesus both authors and perfects our faith. That's what Hebrews calls him, the author and the perfecter, the developer, the one who brings our faith to maturity. And if you think back on it, you remember what we said, how does Jesus author it? By what we hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he, he develops our faith the same way. So hearing what you hear in this life, hearing the word, hearing the anointed word, you have got to guard your ears and only let the word of God get in there and down into your heart. You don't got time for tradition. You don't got time for religion. You don't have time for deception or lies. You want to be hearing the word of God because hearing the word is what brings faith. It brings faith. It brings faith and causes faith to grow. So what you hear is of the utmost importance. What you hear is so critical in your life. But listen to what he said. Don't be a hearer only. Don't be a hearer only. Don't just hear the word. What else are you supposed to do? Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. What do we do with the word that we've heard. Now it's time to put it into action. Are you with me? It's time to put this word into practice. He says here in verse 22 again, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. And we've quoted that verse. We, we've heard that before, but listen to the last two words of the verse, deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. When, when and where does the deception come in? Well, it's happening all the time. People are hearing the word and they're thinking, because I heard it, I know it. Because I heard it, it's working for me. Because I've heard it, then it's going to produce something in my life. But he said, if you're just hearing it and not doing it, you are deceiving yourself thinking that it's going to produce anything for you. Church, I'm telling you, there would be nothing more sad to me or to Sarah than to have gone through the last three days together and hear this word, hear this word, hear this word, this life-changing, eternity-altering word that it could help you find your, your purpose in this life and help you find the grace that God's put on you and in you, and then to never put it into practice and never have it produce anything in the lives of the people of this church. 
He said, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer. He said, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, verse 23, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. It's kind of an interesting illustration to use in talking about being a doer of the word. What is, what does looking at a mirror have to do with this? Well, when you're looking into the word of God, you are seeing the reflection of it is how God sees you. This is who you are. Looking into the word shows you who you are in the eyes of God. It shows you who he's called you and created you to be. Looking into this word is like looking into a mirror. But he said, if you're just looking in a mirror and you walk away and forget what you look like, he said, that's the same as somebody who hears the word but doesn't do it. And asking the Lord about this, I said, what, what's the connection here? And he said, the word, is, the key word here is forgetting. That's the key word. Forgetting. Looking into a mirror and forgetting what you saw. The danger of hearing the word and not being a doer of it is that you'll forget what you heard. So it's being a doer of it that causes you to remember it. It's being a doer of it that keeps it in the forefront of your thinking. And you're deceiving yourself if you think you can hear it and not put it into practice and it's going to do anything for you. The serious danger is if you hear the word, no matter how good, how anointed it was, if you don't put it into practice, it'll be like you never heard it to begin with. It'll be like it never entered your ears to start with. In verse 25, he says, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, you see that word again, but a doer of the work, this one, somebody say this one, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, now that is such a big key right there, church. Listen to me. You are deceived if you're thinking because you heard it, you're blessed. The blessing comes when? When you've heard it and you put it into practice. You've heard it and you become a doer of the word that you've heard. Now in chapter two, he continues with some of this thought and I want you to look at it down around verse 14. He said, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? We might say, what good does it do? Verse 17, he says, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now this, people have 
(laughs) fought small wars over this because it sounds like it disagrees with what the Spirit of God said through Paul in the book of Romans in various places where it says we're saved by faith and not by works. But you're reading this out of the same Bible in the same New Testament that says without works, your faith is dead. But these verses do not disagree with each other. I said, these verses do not contradict. These verses do not disagree. What Paul was talking about is you are not saved by the works of the law. That's not what this is a reference to. This is a reference to corresponding action to your faith. This is a reference to you believing what you heard so much that now you're putting it into practice. And I want you to notice over the next few verses how many times he makes a reference to dead faith. What is dead faith? Well, it's not living. And if it's not living, it's not producing anything. In verse 21, he said, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect, perfect, complete? So our faith is authored when we hear the word and it's developed as we continue to hear it, but it's made perfect, not just as you hear it, but as you act on it, as you walk by faith, put action to it. Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and was called, he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out on on another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. So three times, verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. Verse 20, do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. If it's dead, it ain't producing anything. If it's dead, it's lifeless. Now it came. Why? Because you heard the word. And that's a good thing. You want to hear the word. Because when you heard it, faith began to come. And when you heard the word this week about finding your grace, when you heard this week about plugging in and serving and doing it as unto the Lord, guess what happened when you heard that? Faith came. Faith to do it. But if you never put action to it, if you never put corresponding action to the word that you heard, you will never benefit from it. It'll be like you never heard it to begin with. It's dead. And this is why so many people are frustrated. And this is why so many people have heard these words. And then they walk away frustrated going, well, it's not working. That faith thing doesn't work. Man, I went to those meetings. I went to those conventions. I went to a faith church. I heard all those messages. I heard everything they said about faith, 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 but it didn't do anything for me. You know what the the case is over and over again? They heard it, but they didn't put it into practice. So yeah, from that respect, it didn't work. It was dead. You don't expect much out of a dead man, do you? You don't expect a lot out of that guy. 
There's no life. There's no power. There's nothing in it. No energy to do anything, to produce anything. You can't expect anything out of a dead faith. You can't expect anything out of a faith that doesn't have life and energy in it. It's a living faith. Come on, church, that produces results. It's a living faith that gets results. It's a living faith that produces healing. It's a living faith that produces peace. It's a living faith that produces prosperity. It's a living faith that does that. And a living faith is not one that that is alive just because you heard a good word. A living faith is the word that you heard and the word that you are acting on, that you're putting into practice. And the example he used was Abraham. Can I come down here? I hadn't tried this out yet. Get up in your personal space a little bit. It's a little dark. Do we have those? Let there be. There it is. Hey, that worked. The example he used was a man named Abraham. And of course, we know Abraham and we know his story. But one of the things that characterizes this man's life more than anything is not just the friendship that he had with God, but what their friendship was based on. God in Abraham found a man that he could speak to. And in response, you know what this man would say? Okay. Their whole friendship was based on God being able to speak to him and Abraham saying, yeah, okay. And this is the father of our faith. This is the picture of what it is to live and walk by faith. This man, who just said, okay. It went all the way back to when he was living in his family's house. And the Lord spoke to him and said, get out of your family's house. Get out of your father's house. And I've always thought, man, it was time. The man was 70 years old. Come on, (laughs) spread your wings, baby bird. Let's, Let's learn to fly. Get out of daddy's house. But when God spoke to him, introduced himself and said to him, get out of this house to a place I will show you. A lot of people would have said, okay, well, where? Because if you'll show me where, then maybe I'll go. But the Lord didn't show him where. He just said a place I will show you. What's he telling him? Start walking. Just start walking. I'll show you as you go. And what did Abram say? Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And started walking. Now, I'm not saying it was always easy. Because there came a time when God spoke to him and said, I'm changing your name. Yeah, I know you're 90-ish. But it's time for a new identity. And from now on, you are Abraham. And what did he say? Okay. And I don't know what that would have been like for friends and family. And he's got a bunch of servants and people working for him and got to explain to all of them. And I'm changing my name and he's got his paperwork at the DMV and all of that. It's, it's a hassle, you know, but when God says it and you're a man of faith, I mean, I suppose he could have said Abraham. Really, we're just going to put ham right in the name, huh? I tell you what, God, that sounds good. That'll be between me and you. That'll be our special thing. No, he walked it, put it into practice. The Lord changed his wife's name, Sarai to Sarah. Okay, whatever you say, we'll do that. I'm not going to get into too many details here, but then he started talking about circumcision and, and everybody in the house and all the male servants and all the men. Da, 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 da. And I thought if there was any time Abraham was going to be like, okay, now wait a second. <laughs> but him, his whole household just did whatever the Lord told him to do. Put it into practice, put it into practice, put it into practice. 
And then there was a day the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to take your son, your only begotten son, and put him on the altar. Offer him to me as a sacrifice. And he said, okay. Like I said, I'm, I'm not telling you it was always easy. And I guarantee you this wasn't on his flesh. But he said, okay. And he did it. And he got his servants and he got his son and he loaded up the wood and they began to walk. And you know the whole story. But he was ready to do it. His faith in God was ready to walk out whatever God told him to do. And he raised that knife. And you remember the angel of the Lord stopped his hand and said, bring the child no harm. And people have wondered about that and have had all kinds of weird ideas about what that meant. But you don't understand what God asked of him until you understand covenant. This was God's covenant friend. This was God's covenant man. A man who was willing not just to believe God's word, but to believe it so much that he walked it out. He put it into practice. And when you understand covenant, then you understand whatever, whatever one party is willing to do for the other, the other is bound by that covenant to be willing to do for them. So when God said to him, hey, covenant friend, I want you to offer your only begotten son. Are those words familiar to anybody else? He had a covenant friend that was willing to offer his son. So now God was bound by that covenant to be willing to do no less. That's what that whole thing was about. Thank God. Thank God for a man of faith that would hear the word and, and do it, do it. That's why the man's in the book. Not just because he heard God's word and said, mm, good word, <laughs> strong word, excellent, excellent. What's for lunch? Oh, that's a good word, God. Oh, anointed, hey, anointed word, whoo, good preaching, God, good, good, good preaching. I like that word. <laughs> that's a good word. Now what? What are you going to do with it? Uh, wait for the next one, I guess. If you think that just hearing it and hearing it and hearing it without acting on it is going to produce anything in your life or mine, we're deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves and we're bound for frustration. Frustration going, why isn't this working? Why isn't faith working? Pastor's been preaching about faith, 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 faith. Why isn't it working? Why ain't you doing it? We got to put it into practice. That is a living faith. Come on, somebody say a living faith. A living faith. You hear the word and you become a doer of it. Now, Jesus dealt with some of this. In the book of Luke, you turn to Luke chapter 6. You're looking for Luke chapter six, but listen to this out of Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight, verse 19. The Bible says, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. 
But he answered them and said, my mother and my brothers, this is family. My family are those who hear the word of God. Period. My family are the ones who will listen to me preach. My family are the ones who will hear the things that I say. Is that what he said? No. He said, my family are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is Jesus family. How do you become a brother, a sister of Jesus? How does Jesus become your blood covenant brother? You hear the word. You hear the word and now we're family. No, you are not family until you've heard the word and do it until you've heard the word and you do it. That's how you were born again. You heard the word. And this is what we went over last week. We followed that whole progression. How can they call on him? How can it come out of their mouth to call on him unless they believed? You're not calling on a God you don't believe in. Well, how can they believe unless they've heard? And how are they going to hear without somebody telling them, without a preacher telling them? So the progression is you hear the anointed word and then you believe it. And when you believe it, then you call on him. That's putting action to your faith. It's coming out of your mouth. You became the family of God when you heard it, believed it, and it came out of your mouth. That's acting on it. It coming out of your mouth is part of acting on it. Do you believe it enough to say it? Do you believe it enough to put, to put voice to it? This is what really gets challenged, not even just so much in the, the salvation being born again experience because people, the, the altars are filled with people who will do that. Come give your heart to the Lord. Say this after me, a preacher would say. I believe in my heart that, that, that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth that he's my Lord. And people are quick to do that, but this is how faith is perfected. Do you believe, church, and I'm asking you, do you believe that by his stripes, you were healed. Yes. Do you believe it enough to say it? Yes. Now I'm talking about when your body's hurting. I'm talking about when you're in pain. I'm talking about when you've been given a diagnosis that is bleak and does not look good. And it's trying to suck all the hope out of your life. Do you believe that word enough to say that word? That's part of acting on it. Is it coming back out of your own mouth in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the pressure, say it, you're saying it out loud. I believe I am the healed of the Lord by his stripes. I am healed. And then you take a step and walk in it. What would a healed person do? How would a healed person act? Do you believe that word enough to say it, to act on it? Jesus said, who are my mother and my brothers? See, his own family, his own blood family, if you will, they weren't sure what they thought about him. They thought maybe he's gotten carried away with this whole son of God thing. We thought maybe that was going to be a secret between us. And they wanted to talk to him. But he said, who, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Who's my family? But he who hears my word and, and, come on, and Do it. does it. That's my family. 
And he said this in closing, I think, in Luke chapter six. In Luke chapter six, verse 46, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? There's a big revelation in that statement right there. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? What's he telling them? If you're not doing what I say, I'm not your Lord. If you're not putting into practice what I'm telling you, then you are still your own God. You're still your own Lord. I'm not your Lord, Jesus said, until you're doing what I tell you to do. Until you're putting your faith into practice. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and, and, and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. People like to say that your life being built upon the rock is a life that's built on Jesus. Jesus Christ, he's that rock. He's that solid rock. And there is some truth to that, but then again, what did he say? Building your life on the rock, there's actually more to it than just quote unquote building it on Jesus. He gave you three things that will put your house, the house of your life on a firm foundation. He said, those who, number one, come to me. So it starts there, doesn't it? Coming to Jesus. Number two, he said, those who come to me and hear my sayings, hear my words. But then there was a third part. And without this third part, you got foundation trouble. You need some foundation repair without this third part. It's not just coming to Jesus, although that is wonderful and there is no substitute for it. That's not the end of it. It's not just coming to Jesus and it's not just hearing the word. Although we've already talked about what a critical and key component that is to our faith. Without hearing the word, there is no faith. But he didn't stop there. What did he say? You've got to come to me. You've got to hear the word. And then you have to do it. That's a life that's built on the rock. That's a life that has firm foundation beneath it. The one who's come to Jesus and heard his word and, and it becomes a doer of the word. He said, that's like somebody digging deep. If you've ever built anything, built a home, built a building in construction, then you know how critical it is to go deep. Come on, you got to go deep. If you want this foundation to be sure, you're going to have to go deep, deep, deep. And the, the, the higher it, you have a plan for it to go, the deeper you're going to have to dig to lay that foundation. You got to go deep. And he said, if you'll come to him, hear his word and be a doer of it. He said, that's the one who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. 
But then he contrasted that and he said, but he who heard and did nothing. So this is somebody who got the first two things right. They came to Jesus and they heard his word, but they didn't do it. He said, it's like a man. And Matthew's account adds a foolish man. He who heard the word and did nothing is like a foolish man who built a house on the earth or on the sand without a foundation against which the, the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Why? Because they were never born again. No, that's not why. Well, because they never came to Jesus. And if you don't come to Jesus, your house isn't on the rock. And if you don't come to him, then the storms come and your house is going to fall. That's not why the house fell. That's not why it was ruined. Well, it's probably because they never heard the word, right? And your life is going to fall if you never hear. No, that's not why the house fell. The house fell because they weren't a doer of the word that they heard. Now you've got to be deceived. You've got to be deceived. If you're strolling along the beach and you stand there and you look at that beautiful ocean and the waves lapping against the sand and you think, this is a great spot for a house. Isn't this what James said? You're deceived if you're hearing the word, but you're not being a doer of it. And this is the picture Jesus painted here. You've got to be deceived. If you're standing there on shifting sand and the thought that comes to you is, I think I'm going to build a house right here. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to build me a nice house right here. I think, what, 45, 5,000 square feet, something like that. Five bedrooms, six bathrooms, big kitchen. This would be a perfect spot. It's got a great ocean view from right here. You are deceiving yourself if you think that's a good spot for a house. Oh, just because it's a nice day. Just because it happens to be sunny right now and the, the, the sea is calm and the waves are small, that doesn't mean that's a good spot for that house. Guess what? Storm's coming. The storm is coming and these waves are about to beat vehemently, he said, against this house. The wind is going to blow. And if you think this is a good spot for a house, you've got another thing coming because the ruin of this house will be great. And that is somebody who, yes, came to Jesus. Yes, heard his word, but did not do it. Didn't do it. And they think, well, I'm going to build this house by faith. I'm going to build this house with my faith. I'm going to build my life with faith. And it all sounds really good until the wind starts blowing and the waves are beating into the house and immediately they fall, immediately they crumble and they're left there going, what in the world? This does not look like that message I heard that guy preach. Oh, I heard somebody preach a great message about thriving and I heard him preach a great message about prospering and, and being well and whole and strong. And this is whatever the opposite of that is. That's what this is. That's what I've got. What in the world? This stuff must not work. Deceived. Fooling themselves. What was the key ingredient that they were missing the whole time? They did good by coming to him. They did good by coming to the conference. They did good by, by making sure they were in there night after night and hearing that word. But why did the house fall? One reason. They weren't a doer of it. They didn't put it into practice. But remember what James 1 said. The one who hears the word and, and does it, he will be, shout it out, blessed. Say it, blessed. 
When does the blessing come in your life? Where does the blessing come? In putting the word into practice, in believing it so much that you're willing to take a step out on it, that you're willing to put some action behind it. You're willing to let it come back out of your mouth. You're willing to put your hand to it. How do we become doers of the word that we heard this last week? We just did a recap of what we heard. Babies need help. Mature ones are help. Huh? We heard word about finding our place and serving in the kingdom. Well, guess what? When you heard it, faith came. But that wasn't the end. Act on it. Act on it. Believe it so much that you're willing to act on it. We gave everybody opportunity on that Friday night. I'll help you with it again today. If you're not yet serving, faith to serve is present. You've got faith to serve right now. You've got it. You've got faith for that, but it takes some acting on it. it. Takes some stepping out into it. I don't know if I'm really good at that. I don't know if that's really my ministry. I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to. I don't know. I don't know. Storm's coming. The wind's about to blow. And without acting on the word, you don't have a foundation to keep the house up. But when you and I put it into practice, when you and I start acting, we believe it so much that we're acting on it. It's putting foundation beneath our feet. And not only that, it's repairing whatever faulty foundation we had before. That's the power of the word of God. You hear it and you do it and you will be blessed. Amen. Stand up on your feet. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.